So we're going to be looking at, uh, in the context of the, of the whole letter. So if you haven't been part of the series, you won't be lost, I promise you. Or at the very least, let me put it this way. If you are lost, Jesus is the one in whom you can be found. Amen? And saved. Honestly, I want to remind you that this letter is alive. It's not a dead letter, as they say. It's old, but it's not dead. The Word of God is active and alive. The Word of God coming to you and I today because God has a purpose for us. I want to tell you something. I believe this, not because of any polish or finesse of my preparation of the message, although I've worked hard and prayed hard in the Lord to bring something of worth and value to you from His Word today. But it's only by God's grace that that can happen. And it's truly by God's grace that it does. But because of God's grace and because of God's purpose, I believe this profoundly and I invite you to believe it too. That God's going to do something in you today. That God wants to set you freer today than you were yesterday that he wants to work deeper in you, that he wants to lay hold of you in a powerful way to release you into all of his purposes for you. Now, if you believe that, you are bound to receive it to a greater degree than those who hear the words but resist that truth. Why would anyone resist that truth? Why would anyone not want God's will for them? Well, let's stop for a moment with anyone and talk about the someone who is number one to you, which is you. And for me, it's me. Well, it shouldn't be, right? But the reality is each one of us has one person we think about the most, and that's us. Why would you not want God's will? You might say, hey, Pastor Court, that's not me at all. I do want God's will. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah, sister. But now let's take a moment and recognize that each one of us has gone astray. That each one of us has resisted God. Let me say that again. Resisted God. Yeah, we've done that at some point in our lives, right? It's true, isn't it? If you're not aware of ever having resisted God at any point in your life, you're not aware. That is to say, wake up. Because the Word of God says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. The Word says that we've all sinned. And the primary sin is to resist God, to reject God, to turn from God and God's ways to some other way. Now listen. When you resist God, when I resist God, if we reject God, we don't enter into neutral territory. It's like I talked about in one of these sermons earlier in this series. If you're going to book a flight, you're going in some direction. If you're trying to get from L.A. to Honolulu, you don't fly to New York. And if you are flying to New York, you're going away from Honolulu. So if you're going to resist God and and push him away, well, you can't move God, but you can move yourself. He's given you the grace to do that. He's given you the liberty and freedom to make a choice. So as you move away from him, guess what? You're drawing closer 
to the opposite of him. And that opposite, that enemy, that opposition has a name, has a style, has a spirit. And we call him the devil. When you preach and you preach about God, there's a fairly high percentage of people, generally speaking, who'll be open to hearing about that. They may not all be people who believe in God, but they at least say, you know, I'm willing to hear what you have to say about God. When you start talking about Jesus, the percentage drops. I'll listen to God, but now you get into Jesus, you're starting to become partisan, right? Now that's a little bit too much of that Christian stuff for me, says someone. But when you start talking about the devil, oh, now you're really dropping. People tune out. Oh, come on, even one of these guys that talks about the, the devil and hellfire and Oh my gosh, I can't buy into that. Oh, you know why you can't buy into it? Because it's already got a hold of you. Sure, you don't buy into it. Because the one who's got his hands on the steering wheel of your life is an expert at deception. And he works best in the shadows, in the dark, in deception. It's his nature to lie. And it's to his benefit that you don't see him and that you don't see him lying. And that even if you hear the lie, you think it's true. And if you want proof of that, why not read this word and find everywhere that he shows up and everywhere that the devil shows up that what he's doing is lying, stealing, cheating, killing, destroying. Why? Because he has rejected God. Why would anyone reject God? Why do you reject God? Just like Satan, you and I would reject God if we would prefer our own way. I want my way. I know better. There's a name for that. Pride. And pride goes before a fall. Satan fell because of his pride. Satan lied because of his pride. And now the spirit of Satan loose in the world. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow us to be tempted and tested? Is God tempting us? No, James says God never tempts anyone. But, James says, God tests everyone. Why? God's given you the freedom to make a choice. He's given you the wisdom, if you would ask for it, to know what the right choice is. And now he's waiting patiently to see what will you choose? Who do you really want to be ruler over you? What do you really want in your life and your world? Be careful how you choose because your choice is a decision that you will have to live with forever. Many of us, because we want our own way and we're proud enough to think that we know best, are willing to resist God. And as we do so, we're not even aware that we are submitting to Satan. That you are putting yourself into the snare of the fowler. You know what a fowler is? A guy, I guess it could be a gal, who goes out there and catches birds and gets them into cages. To do what with them? To make them do what he wants them to do, to train them, to eat them, to control them. 
And Satan is like that. He wants hold of you to control you, get you doing his will. Because he's all about his will. And so his spirit, which is loose in the world and very crafty, is able to ensnare many people to such a degree that the spirit of the world, the worldly spirit, is that spirit of lying and deception because it appeals to your own false idea and mind that we know best and that what we really want most is whatever we want most. So Satan knows how to get people by offering them what they want. And he did this to Jesus. You can find it in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Jesus in the wilderness seeking to submit to God, drawing away from people, away from the worldly ways to draw near to God is placed in a situation of temptation. It isn't God that tempts Jesus. It's the enemy. But it was the spirit that drove Jesus in the wilderness to face that temptation. Why? Even Jesus, like all of us, was given the freedom to make choice and was put to the test. But unlike any of the rest of us, when Jesus was tempted in all the ways that you and I are tempted, he did not give in. He resisted the devil with the word of God, even though the devil was using the word of God, twisting it to tempt him. And so the devil said, you're hungry? Turn this stone into bread. You really think you're the son of God? Why don't you throw yourself off the top of the temple? After all, the word of God says he's given his angels charge of you. You won't even stub your toe. You really think that you're the mighty majestic Messiah? Well, here, let me take you to this high mountain, Jesus, says the devil, the deceiver, and show you all the kingdoms of the world and say, you can have them all because they've all been given over to me. And you know who gave them over to him? The people. Because God had given them to the people. And the people gave them over to Satan. Why would they do that? Because Satan told them, all you have to do to get what you want is worship me. And that's what he said to Jesus too. But Jesus said, you shall not worship anyone but God. He resisted the devil by submitting to God. And he won. And his victory is meant to be yours and mine. But the victory will not be appealing to us if we do not desire God's will. If we are given over to wanting our own will, then we are rejecting God's way and submitting ourselves to Satan. Well, now, wait a minute, you might say, look here. Earlier in this very service, it was said from this platform that God is the great provider, that if I need God will give me healing, that if I'm in, in some kind of crisis of resource, God will provide that resource that God wants to love me and make me whole. So I don't understand. It sounds like God is there to do everything that I want. <laughs> well, in fact, it's true. But he's not there to do it the way that you want. And his purpose is not just to make everything happy and pleasant for you right now in this world. His purpose for you and I is that we should grow up strong to be like him. That we would have faith in order to have life and have it more abundantly. And so God tests us. Do you trust me? Do you want me, says the Lord, or just the things that you can get from me? 
Because if you're looking for someone who says, worship me and I'll give you whatever you want, that's not God. You know who that is? That's the liar Satan. The irony is he won't give you what you want. He might give you just a little to string you along, but sooner or later you'll find out that whatever you got from him is far less than what you gave over. But what God says is, I will give you everything that I have, but you have to give me everything you have. Give me everything. Make me first in your life. Seek my kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. But he also makes it clear, don't expect to see it right away. Don't live according to what you can see. Don't just believe what you hear in your ear. Live according to faith. See according to the sight of faith. Believe the word of God. If you will draw close to God, then there's a wonderful reality to you. God is close to you. You may think that your life is all about you, but actually there is no one more important than in your life than God, whether you know it or not. And that God has a name, and his name is Jesus. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your life. He knows everything about every trial that will come your way and every temptation that you will be allowed to face. And he knows everything about his perfect will and desire for you. He wants you to be free. That's God's will for you. Actually, God is more eager to see you be free than you are. And that's because freedom isn't free. <laughs> It comes at a cost, but the cost has already been paid. It's been paid by the blood of Jesus. But in order to deposit the benefit of that freedom, God is saying, you need to endorse it with your life. Give over everything to me, and then you will begin to see who I am. But haven't we learned that if we followed him? Someone out there may say, I'm not sure. I'm in the valley of decision. I don't know if I can buy into this. That's why we who have already believed have what is called a testimony. We can say, I gave up my life to God and I gained everything in the bargain. But it doesn't mean that life became easy or even easier. In fact, in many ways, what the word reminds us of and even James makes us aware of is when you start following God and you are submitting to him, you are resisting the devil and the devil puts up a fight. Not because he cares about you, but because he is so opposed to God that he wants to steal from God that which belongs to God. And if you belong to God, then Satan wants to steal you. If you already belong to Satan, then believe me, Satan doesn't care that much about you. You're just a coin in his pocket. He can spin you any which way he, can, he needs to. It's not that he cares about you at all. He only cares about himself. But God cares about you so much that he gave up himself for you. Now, this is a long prelude to prayer, and then we're going to look at the text. But everything that I've been saying in these moments is designed to help you and I to be reminded of or maybe to be made aware of for the first time that there is a reason why God allows what he does in our lives and there is a purpose that God has that he wants to release in you, and you can have it. It is available to you. The totality 
of who Jesus is is absolutely available to you. Do you think you could ever be someone who goes to the bed of a cancer patient, stage four, and prays over them and lives? You can, because he can, if it's his will. And his will is to heal. Did Jesus ever find somebody that was sick and coming to him and saying, pray for me, and Jesus said, God doesn't desire to heal you. There is a case, actually, with the Syrophoenician woman who, who is asking for healing for her daughter. She's a Gentile woman, and Jesus said, I came to the children of Israel, and you don't take what is on the table for the children and, and feed it to the dogs. Wow, what a statement. I think it was a test. Are you willing to believe that I am good if I'm not willing to give you what you ask for? But what she was asking for in faith, and she said, with humility, but even the dogs get scraps under the table. She wasn't offended. She believed that if she appealed to his heart, he would care enough to help her. And he said, there's great faith here, and her daughter was healed. You say, well then, are you saying that everyone gets healed? <laughs> I'm saying God is a healer. And he wants to use you to show the world about it. Just like he used his own son. The same spirit of healing that was on Jesus is on you if you're a follower of Christ. If you're following Christ and you don't have that sense, then it's time to submit yourself to God. Resist the lie of the devil that says, I'm not meant to be that kind of believer. That's the only kind of believer there is. If you're not that kind of believer, you're just someone who's going through the motions and saying the words, but if the works of Christ aren't coming through you, then that faith is useless and dead, according to James. You say, well, how can I ever do it? You can't. It's him that does it. Well, then how is it that he would do it through me? He wants to do it through you. Well, then what should I do? Ask for him to do what he wants through you, and he will do it. Do you believe it? Don't ask for it if you don't believe it, because if you ask without believing, you're like a wave of the wind tossed back and forth. You're double-minded. So, of course, you shouldn't expect that, because that's not faith. But if you ask, believing that he is who he says he is, friends, he will be himself in you, and you will become more like him. And you won't do it for your glory because that's not what it's about. You'll do it for his. You'll do it by his glory. You'll do it according to his will. You'll do it failingly and, and pausingly and imperfectly because you and I are imperfect people, but he's a perfect God. He says, don't worry about that. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is going to be perfected, weak vessel of who you are. Lord, we come to you today to ask boldly for you to reveal yourself to us. We come before you today to say boldly, Lord, that we would be revealed for who we are before you. You already see all through us. We are transparent in your eyes. But Lord, we ask that you would make us aware of your penetrating vision, that you would give us the eyes to see ourselves through your sight. We make a bold request today, Lord, and a scary one. 
and we do it with reverent fear. We ask that you would shine the light of your word on sin in our life. We ask that you would reveal to us the places where we have submitted ourselves to Satan. We ask that you would show us the places where we are bound in unbelief or where we are tied to lies. And we ask, Lord, that you would free us from all of that and bind us to your truth and bind us to your will. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth and in our lives in the same way that it is done in the kingdom of heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, and by God's grace, next week, we will look at the last two chapters of the book of James. Let's review what it is. It's a collection of wise sayings and teachings from an early church leader named James, probably one of Jesus' brothers, because we know that Jesus had a brother named James and a brother named Jude, and there's two authors of letters in the New Testament, the letter of James and the letter of Jude, and in the letter of Jude, he mentions his brother James as well. So tradition has said that's who this is. Why do I go over this with you? I want you to know the word. I want you to be familiar with what's in it. I hope that you, as we do series like these, as we study books, as we studied the book of Judges, as we studied the book of Joshua, as we will be studying the book of Ruth, we'll come to know the character of each book. Because there are real people that were the authors of these books or that are the people whose lives are described in them. And each book has its own unique contribution to the library of God that is the Bible. And I want you and I to be knowledgeable and literate about that. It's like getting to know people, you know? When you, start, you first start coming to a church, you just see faces, but then you get to know people, and you get to know their lives. And which is the richer experience? Go, you can go into a stadium. Last week, you could have gone into, what is it, SoFi Stadium and seen, I don't know, 100,000 people. Wow, if you've ever been in an environment like that, it is an awesome thing to hear that roar and to see that crowd. But I'll tell you what, it's all the more awesome to know one person deeply and love them. And the more that you know somebody, the more that they mean to you. The more that you know the word of God, the more it will mean to you. So get to know James. He's still alive in the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to meet James someday. Why not know something about what he said? God thinks that his words were so important that by his spirit which inspired them, he has preserved them for us. For look how long, nearly 2,000 years. The book was composed probably somewhere between 45 to 65 A.D. Smack dab in the middle of the first century A.D. as we calculate it, and right in the middle of a period of intense persecution. In fact, when we look at the uh, beginning of the book of James, we see that he is writing in a style, actually throughout the book you can see this, but I'm going to say something about the, the very beginning of his introduction. Uh, but right from the get-go, right from the jump, we see that he is writing in a style that is uh, reminiscent of and highly informed by the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, especially books like Proverbs and uh, um, Ecclesiastes, books associated with Solomon or Solomonic wisdom. But he's also writing in a way that reflects the teaching of Jesus. 
especially famous sermons like the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon uh, on the Plain, which are very focused on how you live daily. You know, what are you looking for? What is your priority? Who is in charge of your life? We sang earlier today, Lord, I give you my life, every breath that I take, right? Let it be about you. But is that true? Is that really the way you're living? Jesus came to people who had that in their liturgy too. In the time of Jesus, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was preaching to people who had heard the Bible their whole lives for the most part. They knew the wisdom of the Old Testament scriptures. They had heard it. But what he said to them was, you're concerned about where you're going to get your food and you're concerned about having nice clothes and you want money and wealth and comfort. Well, hey, who can't relate to that? But Jesus said, stop being so concerned about that. That's worldly. In other words, that's living according to the spirit of the world. It's not that those things don't matter. It's that God matters more and that, in fact, God gives you those things. He feeds the birds. Won't he feed you? He clothes the flowers of the field more majestically than Solomon in his glory. So won't he give you those things that you need? Pastor Henji uh, preached at PCF in the Valley recently about how your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you even ask, as Jesus himself said. So in daily living, Jesus' teaching and James's and the Bible in general says, make God your first point of reference. Make God's will and desire your number one will and desire, and that will put your life into right order. Now, as I mentioned, James begins in this vein, and he carries it through the entire letter. But as he speaks at the beginning, it makes his address. He says that he's writing to the, to the, uh, the 12 tribes that are dispersed. In this, we see James's Jewish heritage, he is writing to what I described, I think, last week, the diaspora, Jewish peoples who had been um, compressed out of ancient Israel because of oppressing forces that had come in to the nation over a period of hundreds of years prior to this time. But he's also writing to people who have only recently been chased out of Jerusalem. If you look at Acts chapter 8, you'll see that in the very early years of the church, there was such intense persecution against the believers in Christ in Jerusalem that many of them had to flee in order to save their lives. So James has those people in mind too. They've had to go all over the ancient Mediterranean world just to survive. Imagine what happened to you. Imagine if, in order to continue to submit your life to God and to... Um, honestly and openly proclaim your faith in him, you had to risk death. Would you be willing to face that risk? What if you had to leave town because you're literally going to be killed if you don't? Are you willing to leave behind everything that you've stored up, every route that you've laid down, and you're willing to say goodbye to all of that because you're not willing to say goodbye to God? That's the way those people were. They weren't just trying to save their lives. They were also holding true to their faith. But it was hard. You can imagine, right? And so James said, when these things happen, don't be discouraged. Take joy in it. Because it's proof that God believes that you are ready for that kind of a test. You might say, I don't want to get ready for that kind of test. 
God wants you to be ready for that kind of test. Why would somebody not want what God wants? Ding, 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 we found a reason. I don't want to be tested that way. Guess what? You don't get to choose your tests. What kind of school would that be? I want to sign up for that college, right? I'm going to take that class and I'll make the tests. Sounds great if you're a student, except guess what? Your degree? Because who, who couldn't do that? Any teacher worth their salt knows if you're really going to demonstrate what you've learned, you have to be able to do it according to a standard beyond what you've learned. Or in other words, according to a standard from someone who knows more about it than you do so that they can evaluate and gauge. Right? You and I don't get to choose our tests. But what God says is, I will make you ready for the test. He doesn't say, I'll feel ready. He says, I will make you ready. You almost never feel ready. But what James is saying is, it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters how you see it. See it as a point of joy. Categorize it as training. Recognize, I'm going to be stronger because of this. God's going to make me stronger because of this. Not stronger in myself, because that would just be selfish. Stronger in him. So James is writing to people mostly of Jewish origin, but Christian in faith. They're mostly poor. That was just the, the demographic of the church and the community at that time. They were largely new to Christianity because it was growing so fast. Why was it growing so fast? Especially when people have so many reasons not to want the will of God. Because those who were receiving the will of God were demonstrating the power of God. You know when people will get eager for God's will? When they have a daughter that is sick. When they have a crisis in their home. When they are bleeding and can't stop bleeding. When they are hurting and no one cares and no one can help. When they are trapped and bound and they know it and they believe God could set me free. You want people to be eager for the God that you serve? Let them see who he is in you. Let them know how he has freed you from your addictions and bondages unless you're still bound, in which case it's time to resist the binding of Satan and submit to the goodness of God. When people see what God does in people's lives, they become hungry for who God is. If there are people that aren't hungry for God, don't blame the world. The world was never hungry for God. Look to yourself and say, am I living a life that would make other people desire who God is? Can they see him in me? Do they hear about him from me? Do I speak to them from him? How many times in your day could you speak to somebody the words of life that God would desire to speak through you if you had your ear open to hear from him? But when you do this, don't expect everyone to applaud you can count on Satan putting up a fight. And the only way that you're going to be able to stand and withstand that, as Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians that we studied a couple of years ago together, is to pursue the fullness of who God is in you, to give yourself over to the full character of Christ in you, all the fruit of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, all the fullness of the Spirit, all the reality of the wisdom of the Word. That's how spiritual maturity will be brought forth in us 
That's how unity in the body will be achieved among us. That's how justice, without favoritism, without chasing after riches or, or impressive people in society, but purely desiring the just and righteous will of God, really resonates in a community. And that's how we receive from God patiently persevering faith. So let's build the blocks of the letter. James began by saying, you need to be single-minded. Stop being double-minded. Double-minded is trying to get to Honolulu and New York at the same time. Double-minded is thinking that you can say, I love Jesus and I belong to him, and then give large swaths of your life, great big channels of it over to Satan by appealing to whatever it is that appeals to your flesh. But I like to go out and spend a lot of money. It makes me feel good to have new things. Is there anything wrong with that? There's something wrong with it if that's what you're relying on to feel good. If that's how you deal with stress. Sure, there's nothing wrong with buying yourself something nice if you have the resource to do it from time to time. But there's something wrong with having an addiction to things and materialism or feeling insecure and scared when you don't have things. There is something wrong if you need things from the world to make you feel good. There's something wrong if your reliance is on something that deadens and dumbs you. You say, well, I just need those three glasses of wine every night just to decompress from my day. Well, but what is allowing you to untangle from your night of wine drinking? And guess what? If you're saying, I need those three glasses every day, let me tell you something. I bet I'm right. It's more than three glasses. Oh, well, who's counting? God is. And you know who else is counting? There's a reason why they call things spirits. Listen, I'm not here. You just drank wine. Yes, he did. He didn't drink it to get drunk. Well, I'm drinking those three glasses because I need, you need to get drunk. That's what you're saying. I need to get drunk to feel relaxed. You don't want to put it in those terms because when you start painting it as blankly as that, as boldly as that, well, then it's obvious that that's not good. Well, why wouldn't you want it to be obvious? Because there's someone behind that who doesn't want you to see. The guy behind the curtain pulling the levers. Oz, the great and terrible. Terrible is right. The terrible liar who is using things, situations. Maybe you have a relationship that's not right. And you know it's not right. But it just feels so good. Maybe where you get your kicks, where you get a relief, is because you like to gossip. Oh, I just love to sit down with her and we talk about everybody that we know and... It just feels, you know, I, it's just that I like to know I'm not the only one that has problems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know what? I just can't help it. I mean, they make the choices they make. Somebody's got to talk about it. You know that friend that you love to gossip with? Guess what? You're not the only one they love to gossip with. And when they're not gossiping with you, they're gossiping about you. And you know how you can know? Because that's what you do about them. Yeah. You say, well, what's wrong with that? There's a third party. What is the spirit of gossip? There is a spirit there, and it isn't the spirit of the Lord. It's Satan in the middle, spinning his finger in that web like a spider, entombing you in that. And you say, it makes me feel good. Yeah, he knows that. You say, well, I just dabble a little bit in the pornography. It just kind of is a release. No, it's not. 
It's a trap. It's a net that's pulling you in. Doesn't matter what the thing is. There's 50 other things I could describe. The point is, you can't have that in your life and God. God says, choose. I'm not about those things. I'm not a gossip and I don't approve of it. I don't approve of perversity and pornography. I don't care what your world says about it, says the Lord. I don't approve of it. It's not good for you. It's not of me. I don't like you to be in the sway of a substance or dependent on those pills that the doctor prescribed for your back, but you're using it for your heart, for your head, for your heartless, hopeless life. And it's not good. I want you to be free from that relationship, says the Lord. I want you to be free from that habit. But you've got to have a single-minded desire for what I want in your life. And it's not enough for you to say that you love me, says the Lord. If you really love me, you have to show it by being loving to others. You know why that's so hard? Because we can fake love to God. Now, he's not persuaded by it, but we're not doing it to, to, to fool him. We're doing it to fool ourselves. Oh, I love God. Easy to say. But how about the person right next to you? Well, that's a lot tougher. But God says, this is how I can see who really loves me. If you really love me, you'll love people around you. And you'll be righteous in a way that actually results in fruitfulness because it'll be my righteousness at work in you. You'll be able to control your tongue. You'll be able to tame it and steer it towards the blessing and not the cursing. You will have real humility and you will reject the attitude of pride. You will recognize and resist the devil and you will submit yourself to me, says the Lord Jesus. That's chapter four. James says, if you see warring desires and selfish jealousies among people, and look, just look out in the world. Do you see that among people in the world? Yeah. So James says, there is a source for that. But James is zeroing in on his, on his audience too. He's saying, basically, it's not just people in the world, but people in the body that would behave this way. And why? Because they want what they want. They are not given over to God's will, and it's God's will that unifies us. So if we're each going after our own will, even if we plaster the name of God over it, well, this is what God wants. I think this is what God wants. It's still just you and me going after our own will, and it's a fleshly attitude, and there is a spirit behind it. And it's not the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of antichrist. And so it's the spirit of division and discord and disunity and ultimately death. What's the solution? To, to try and stand against Satan on your own, you're bound to lose. No, the only way to resist Satan is to submit to God. How are you going to beat a, an enemy that outnumbers you, that's stronger than you? How'd they do it in the days of the judges with Gideon? Gideon did it by relying on God, right? David defeated Goliath not because David was bigger, stronger, smarter, or better equipped. He was smaller, younger, and he only had those stones and a slingshot, but he had God with him. He had God behind him. He had God calling him, and he desired to do God's will. That's how he strode with confident courage into the valley of Elah against that giant and won because God had already won. 
and David knew it. If you're going to resist and reject the devil, you've got to submit to God. How do we submit to God? Repent. Recognize where you are resisting God. You have areas in your life, just like I have areas in my life and heart, where we are resist God. Some of those areas have already been described. We doubt that God is going to give us what we want or need. We are selfish for our own desires. We let our tongue, you know, lead us instead of us leading our tongue. These are all ways in which you and I might need to repent of what we've said and how we think of our faithlessness and doubt. Maybe we have pride. We never want to see that in ourselves. We are always eager to turn a blind eye to our own pride. But when God reveals pride, it produces humility if the person has a repentant heart. Come closer to God. That's the solution. So often we think that the way we're going to get better in our life is by trying harder. All those things that I listed and the thing that I didn't list that you had in your mind because you know it's your thing or your five things or your 20 things that you deal with routinely and you know what they are, even if you're not going to tell anybody about them, although you should because confession is part of how you get released. Next week, chapter 5, James says, confess so you can be free. But in any case... You know what your particular issues are, and you're thinking, how can I just finally get the resolve to quit that or improve that or break that off or start doing? Because James even says, if you're not doing what God says for you to do, you know it's right and you're not doing that, that's a sin too. It's not through willpower, friends. The willpower is to humble yourself before God. The place where you can put your will into work is by coming and bowing down before God. But it's his power that will free you. It's his power that will heal you. It's his power that will shine the light into the dark corners of your soul and mind and set you free and give you love for him and for each other and the kind of patient, persevering faith that succeeds. I asked you last week to be reading in James. And even if you've already read the book, even if you've read it multiple times, I'm going to ask you to read James chapter 4 this week. And when you do, see how it breaks down succinctly into three sections. Now, there's other ways, I suppose, that you could divide it. But I think this is a useful way of looking at the material. First of all, James, at this point in the letter, is talking about the sources of strife. He wants to make it clear. If there's chaos, if there's discord, if there's disunity in your church, in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, in your workplace, in your own heart, what are the reasons for that? What are the sources of that? Pride is one. The twisted thinking that comes from the perverted lies of the enemy. Not just sexual perversion, although that's definitely there, but the perversion of the way that you think about relationships, the way that you think about people, the way you think about money, the way you think about your time, the way you think about God. If it's twisted off of the center of God's truth, it's perverted. Greed for your own desire, for what you think you need, for what you think you want. All of these things are animated in your flesh by the spirit of hell. So you've got to send hell packing by resisting the devil. And the way to do that primarily is to, to run to God, to cling to God, to open your heart and mind and ears to his word. Read the Bible for heaven's sakes. Read it for your sakes. 
Read it with an open ear and an open spirit. Think about it. Meditate on it. Apply it. Talk about it with others. Share where you're confused. Share where you're concerned. Ask for guidance. Study it. Learn it. Pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray with the understanding. Worship. Connect with the body. Hear what God is saying to the church. I'm going to move very quickly through the material of the chapter, trusting that you're going to read deeper as you go. But I want to call some things out for you, for you to look at as you read through this word this week. By the way, did you experience over the last week any trials with your tongue? I did. <laughs> but you know what? Count it all joy. Now, maybe you did well or maybe you did poorly. I see some people feeling like, mm, it's good, done. Now, don't get too proud. But remember, if you did well, that's good. It's God's goodness at work in you. And if you did poorly, don't get too hard on yourself. Remember, God's goodness will work in you too. The point is, where is your heart? What is your desire? So as you're reading through chapter 4 this week, think about this. What is it that you really desire? Uh, James says, isn't it your desires that are warring within you, that kind of double-mindedness that causes fights with others? In your marriage, in your household, in your workplace, in your church. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Oh, wait, slam on the brakes. Okay, I don't do that, you say. I mean, that may be why people kill. Yeah, why? just watch one of those true crime things or don't. But if you do, you find out that people do the most horrible kinds of crimes for money and to gain things. So, yeah, it's true. But you think, well, I'm not guilty of murder. But now, wait a minute. Look at the next phrase. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Oh, well, we'll raise our hands to that, right? I recognize that. But remember, Jesus said, actually, when you have that kind of anger and argument, it's the spirit of murder at work in you. I remember as a kid, um, I grew up in an agricultural area. We raised chickens, and we used to go to the feed and supply store, and there was a whole section on seeds. Have you ever been to a place where they sell seeds, flower seeds, or gardening seeds? And they're all in those uniform little packets, right? These lovely little packets. And if you open it up, they all look like grape nuts to me or something. They're not grape nuts, but they look like bird feed or something, obviously. You can't tell one seed from another unless you're expert a farmer. James is going to talk about farmers next week. We'll talk about it too. But in any case, how do you know what you're planting? There's a picture on the front. And the picture says, that's what this seed becomes. And what Jesus is saying is, what James is saying also is, when you have the seed of covetousness, the picture of murder is on that package. Remember, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's a spirit in your heart that produces the seed of your word. And when it goes forth from you in your words and your works, it produces its result. So actually, you are a murderer according to God's view, and that's the one that matters. He's the judge. This is called Jesus' hyperbolic teaching. He says, if you've been angry, you've heard it said that if you commit murder, you're going to be punished. But I tell you, even if you're angry with your brother or sister, you, in fact, have murder in your heart. And if you say to them, you idiot, you goggle, you're in danger of hell. Jesus said, you've heard that it's wrong to have an adulterous affair, but I tell you, if you lust in your heart, you already have the seed of adultery growing. So James is saying, look at what it actually is. See the picture on the cover. See, 
How are you going to repent when you think everybody's like that? Everybody talks that way. You're a murderer according to God. I am too when we act that way. You say, well, that's too high of a standard. Good. Recognize it's a standard you can't meet. That will humble you. So you'll fall to your knees and say, help me then. And that's what you want. You want his help. Now, you want something, says James, and you don't get it, so you get angry about it. But why are you acting that way when anything that you need, you can simply ask and God will give it to you? What is it that God wants you to be asking for? Wisdom. And what is wisdom? Knowing his will and how to do it. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is what does God want in this situation? He said, well, I don't know what God wants. Yeah, but you're not really interested in what God wants, right? You're interested in what you want. And so James says, you want what you want, and you get angry with other people because you don't get it. Maybe you get angry with God because you don't get it. But what God is saying is ask for it, and I'll give it to you. But the problem is that when you do ask, you don't want what God is going to give. Now, every good and perfect gift is from God. So it's really the best source, but you don't receive because you're asking for what you want. When you pray and you come to God and you're only asking for what you want, you're not asking according to God's will. Now, here's a secret about this. A lot of times what God wants for you and what you want may align, but the issue is which one are you willing to sacrifice? If you're willing to sacrifice what God wants, to get what you want, don't call Jesus master of your life. You're double-minded. But if you say, this is what I want, and remember Pastor Hazel's message a few weeks ago? You, you request and release. Make your request known to God. Ask believing that God gives the good thing. But also realize, if it's not God's will, you don't want it anyway. So leave it in God's hands. But if you're asking for something and you think, if God doesn't get this for me, I'm going to get it somewhere else, guess who's ready right there to say, I can get it for you wholesale. Why did all those people in the days of the judges worship other idols? Because the other idols said, we can give that to you. You adulterous people, says James, which is how God referred to ancient Israel when they worshipped other idols. And Jesus said, if you're lusting after something that isn't right, it's outside of the covenant, you've already committed adultery. And it's not just in marriage. If you're lusting after the things of the flesh and the spirit of the world, you are lusting after Satan. And Satan is ready to take you to bed. But God says, you are an adulterer because I am a jealous God. You belong to me. James says, don't you recognize that the scriptures say that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us or the spirit he caused to dwell in us longs jealously? I'm not going to go into the detail of how this is sometimes interpreted different ways. I'm just going to shoot right to my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. I may or may not be right about this because it's a verse that sometimes people debate. But I think it's quite clear that what James is saying, and this is what the scripture shows over and over, is that God says, I don't want you worshiping some other spirit. I'm the only one. That's his jealousy. He's not saying I'm jealous in a negative way. He's saying I'm zealous for you. I want to be married to you, and I don't want to share you. Don't you want a husband like that? Don't you want a wife that says you and you only? Now, remember, this is the God who loves everyone, but what he is saying is you are my one body. 
You are my one bride. And I don't want my bride worshiping other gods because I don't want my wife sleeping with other dudes. And that's a good kind of jealousy, especially if she's prone to do it. <laughs> it's one thing if you have this doubt about somebody who's shown and demonstrated their faithfulness over and over, but has that been us? We need God to desire us this way because our desire for him isn't strong enough. It's his desire for us that holds us firmly in his hand. We didn't choose him, he chose us. So now we choose him in response. I'm getting close to the end, hang with me. God gives us more grace. You need it about this point in the message, right? You're kind of feeling like, oh my gosh. Uh, I hope, if you're, if you're sailing along and going, I got this, I got this, I got this, there's a problem. I just watched the film Groundhog Day again. I, I love that film. Bill Murray movie from about, I don't know, 30 years ago. It's, it's a really charming movie. And uh, there's a scene in it where he's, 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 he's a very superficial guy. He is absolutely someone who's all about himself, his own self-interest as the movie begins. He learns lessons as it goes along. But at one point, he finally begins to realize that there's a woman he works with who's quite lovely, and he really wants to charm her into a relationship. But at this point, it's still more about him. He wants her as a kind of a conquest. So he's asking her, you know, what are you looking for in a man? And she describes all these wonderful things that he really isn't. You know, she's like somebody with a great body but who doesn't know it. And he's like, I've got a terrific body, and I hardly ever notice it. And, you know, I, uh, somebody who loves their mother and likes poetry and all these things. He's, he's like, boy, I'm really close on this. I've got all of it. If you're feeling like, I check all of these boxes, you're probably out to lunch. <laughs> you're probably clueless about yourself. It's probably time to come to the Lord and say, how many of these things do you see in me? Be careful of saying to yourself, oh, yeah, I've got this wrapped up. I don't see myself as having this all wrapped up. Even Paul said, I haven't attained all of this, but it's what I'm reaching for because the one who reached out to me has promised that he will complete it. But my pursuit of it is part of realizing the promise. So hopefully at this point you're feeling like this is a long reach and God says, don't worry, my arm is not shortened. He gives us more grace. We ask for it. Don't be proud. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Say, I'm broken. I need healing. I'm bound up in stuff. Words fly out of my mouth and I don't even know where they come from. Thoughts running around in my head like chickens with their heads cut off. And I need help. Good. Good. Come to Jesus in that attitude and let him help you. You might read 1 Timothy chapter 6 this week also. Uh, this is in the slides. You can download it. I'm not going to read all of it. But basically, everything that's being talked about here in James shows up in Paul's letter to Timothy, the first letter in chapter 6. I mention it in part because Scripture confirms itself and also to, to reject this idea that there's somehow some discrepancy between the, the activated faith of James and the grace uh, that Paul describes, they are in tandem. And in, and in that environment, both men recognize that there is controversy and quarrel that comes about from selfishness and pride. 
and it results in all kinds of evil works. But if you would choose, instead of seeking after your own personal gain, to seek the will of God, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, you could gain the whole world and still that engine inside of you says, I want, I want, I want. But if you realize that all of the kingdom has already been given to you, then what will be, what will be continually repeating in you is, I have, I have, I have. Say that this week when you encounter problems. I have patience from God. Maybe you don't feel it yet, but confess that you have it. You say, well, that's just wishful thinking. No, it ain't. He wants to give it to you. Do you doubt that? Do you doubt that God wants you to be patient? Now, what can stop God from giving you patience? You think Satan can stop God? Never. But you can stop God, not more powerful than God, but because God says, I won't force on you that which you will not willingly receive. Or if he does, then that's the test. Are you ready to open the door? Because Jesus said, I'm outside knocking. I want to give you patience. I want to give you courage. I want to give you hope. I want to silence the voice of the liar in your head. I want to give you the stamina to continue. If you and I are in friendship with the world, this doesn't mean that you go to the Grand Canyon and you say it's beautiful. God made that. That's good. It doesn't mean that God wants you to look at people on the street and say, hello, scum, I've got nothing to do with you, you worthless non-believer. He's talking about the world system. He's talking about the spirit of Satan. Of course, non-believers are not going to follow the things of God. And in fact, we should be showing them the love of God so that they can know the truth. But you can't show them the love of God if you're in love with the things of the world and Satan. To be entwined with the world system equals animosity with God, which means it will produce animosity with other people. But if you would humble yourself, God will grant you the grace to grow in the understanding of his will and in the unity of the faith and in the ability to resist the devil. So in this section, verses 7 to 12, James talks about resist the devil and he will flee from you. You might think, well, that's not true. I've tried resisting him. You've tried resisting him in your own strength. But what James is saying is resist him in the strength of God. So don't just resist the devil, come close to God and let God fight the devil through you and in you. How can you do that? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Stop speaking badly about one another because when you do that, you're bringing yourself under judgment and condemnation. So this is important. Take a shot of this one if you can. Or... Uh, it's in your bulletin, and you can download the bulletin at home. It's on the website. You can download the slides. These are the things that James says are ways to send Satan packing. Say, I'd like to know how to get rid of the devil. Oh, nobody in the room wants to get rid of the devil? <laughs> you all Say, I want to give the devil the boot. Yeah, I want to give the devil the boot. I want him to get the hell out of my life. The hell that he brings... God says, I want that hell out, right? So get close to God because God's the only one that can evict him. Jesus, when he set people free from demons, he said, you know, there's no way that you can bind a strong man unless you're stronger. It's only the stronger one that can evict. You're not stronger than Satan, friend, but 
Satan is not stronger than God. So seek spiritual cleansing. Lord, show me where I need to turn away from things that are inviting the enemy in. Are you sleeping with the enemy? No wonder he's got such a hold on you or me. You say, my words don't reflect the spirit of God. Well, guess what? Then they're reflecting the spirit of someone else. And it's not just you, because Satan is looking for anyone that he can lay hold of. So if you're not in God's camp, you are in his. Set your heart solely on God. Grieve, repent, and humble yourself. When God really shows you and I how we really are, there's grief, but it's a good grief because it says, good grief, God, I need you. Tame your tongue. Talk well of your brethren. Now, when it says don't judge, there's another verse that I'm going to just reference to you right here because this is something that does get kind of confused sometimes. Jesus even taught in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. And James here is saying, who are you to judge your brother or your sister? But I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 5. When Paul is writing to the church and he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? We are only supposed to judge those inside. Let me just quickly speak to this. I've spoken to it before in prior message. We as the body of Christ are family. If you see someone in your family, if you see your kids behaving in a way that is detrimental or bringing shame to the family name or running contrary to the law or making you bankrupt, you better believe you're going to say something about it. But you're not speaking out of hatred and you're not speaking out of superiority and pride or if you are, that in itself is wrong. If you're addressing it rightly, you are speaking the truth in love. Son, daughter, father, mother, brother, sister, this is not who we are. You're better than this. This isn't what our family does. That we are supposed to do. In fact, we are required to do in the body. But there is a way in which that happens. It's orderly. It's loving. It's according to the word of God. That's not judgment of judgmentalism. That is discernment and love. Okay? That's necessary. So judge not lest you be judged doesn't mean, hey, you're no one to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Jesus said, you don't get to tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, well, you're if you care about Jesus saying that, what is he saying to you? Because Jesus may be the very one who's saying, I'm speaking to you through that one right now to tell you the way that you're living is wrong. So be careful that you don't misconstrue what judgmentalism actually is. It's the spirit that is significant. Finally, in the last portion of the chapter, the last portion of this message, James says, look, I want you to understand something else about submitting to God. Did you notice that resisting the devil was primarily actively drawing on God? It's not so much fighting the devil. It's more hugging God. And God will fight the devil in you. There is battle that you and I face, but the battle is when we are armored in the things of the Lord and we are filled with his spirit and we are conformed to his character and we're united with the body, right? Remember our teaching on the armor of God from Ephesians 6? But most of all, what you and I are individually called to is to trust the Lord and to submit to him. But James makes it clear there's an added measure of, of, of awareness that is, that is really intrinsic to a life truly submitted to God, which is to recognize you're not in control of your life. Well, we all nod our head and say, yeah, that's obvious, right? But how many of us really think that? 
James says, you know, you say, oh, tomorrow, next week, we're going to go to this that city, we're going to set up shop, we're going we're gonna to start a business, we're going to, you know, I'm getting into cryptocurrency. I'm not, I'm just saying this is what's amazing. Right, because I know, I know, oh, listen, it's been going high. Well, hey, great, hopefully so. But guess what? You don't know what tomorrow holds. Now, whether you're in, I'm just picking cryptocurrency out of the hat. You could say the stock market, you could say the White House, you could say, you know, down the street. You could say in your own home. Who really knows what tomorrow holds? Only the Lord. That doesn't mean that we just uh, sort of, you know, exit our house each day going, well, I'm clueless, I've made no plans. No, 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 make your plans. But remember, the event is in the hand of God. What is your life? You're a mist. You're here for a little while and then you're gone. So you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James is not trying to get legalistic about the words you use. He's saying you ought to have it deeply embedded in your mind that whenever you're making plans, your goal is, Lord, what is your plan? What is your will? Maybe his will is that today or tomorrow or next week you get involved in cryptocurrency or you set a business and shop somewhere or whatever. That's fine. But is it God's will and not just mine or ours? As a church, when the council and I meet, when the pastoral team meets, we pray, Lord, your will be done. Show us your will. Help us to know. And we believe that if we are lacking wisdom in that, when we ask, he gives it, you see. So, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Here's the other thing, and this is the conclusion. You want to know the will of God, remember this. If you know it, you are beholden to show it. That's another reason why people don't want the will of God. Why? Because if I see it and know it, what if I don't like it? What if I don't want to do it? You don't get to choose, right? So people think, well, it'd be easier not to know. <laughs> Hopefully the message is made clear to you that's a bad way to live. For one thing, God knows what you know, even if you're going to lie about it. But if you start lying about what you know, guess who is the author of lies? Guess who is taking control of your life? If you're going to resist God, you're going to be submitted to Satan. And then you will stop hearing heaven's call because you'll be in the sway of hell. So listen to heaven's call by being humble and by remembering that you're not in control of tomorrow no matter how well you plan. You think, hey, I've got this 401k. I made a ton of money on cryptocurrency. I've got it all stored up for me. Remember the parable of the rich fool. Jesus talked about a man like that, and then that night he died. And the Lord said, what have you got to show me? I don't care about what's in your silo. I don't care about the grain and the gold. What about the gold of your heart? What's inside of here? What's the picture on the package of the seed of your spirit? Remember the wisdom of numbering your days so that you can gain a heart of wisdom, the will of God beating in your heart, the desire for God things in your life. Prioritize God's will and purpose. Jesus said, it's not enough to me that you go around saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. I want to see it. I want you to show that to me, right? And I will show it to you, says the Lord. I will show it to you, in you and through you, if you will submit yourself to me. Build your house on the rock of my word and who I am, and then act on it. Act on it, right? James began by saying, 
Don't just hear the word of God. Do it. Otherwise, you're looking in a mirror, you're walking away and forgetting. But if you're looking into the word, if you're looking into your soul, if you're looking up to heaven and you're looking into the will of God, the will of God is looking into you, is working into you, is bringing blessing to you. I want to pray right now for these things that we've described to be put into action in our life that the Lord would reveal to us the places of pride, perversion, greed, the sources of strife in our hearts, in our own beings, that he would grant to us the wisdom to see the places where he wants to set us free and that he would give to us that single-minded, passionate desire to embrace all that heaven holds, to embrace the things of the kingdom, to embrace Jesus. Jesus wants to embrace you. And I'm going to ask all of us to do something if it's possible. I want you, if you're physically able to do this, to bow down to kneel. If you're not physically able to do it, there's no shame in that. There's no, don't worry about that. It's really the disposition of your heart. But even at home, if you're physically able, I'm even going to do it. I, I say even simply because just because I'm up here on the platform and I'm on camera, it makes it maybe a little bit awkward for you to see me. But I don't want you to be looking at me right now particularly anyway. I want you and I to be looking at the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is right there with you. You don't have to be able to see him in order for that truth to be true. He is there. He is here. He can do what no one else can do. He can be everywhere present all at once. He is God. I want you to really focus on the reality of him standing right behind you right now. It doesn't matter if there's physical space for him there. It doesn't matter if there's someone else standing back there. Jesus is there. He's right behind you. His strength, his solidness, his holiness, his perfectness, his love. His love is washing over you right now in waves, in waves. Don't resist it. Don't think, I'm not worthy of that. Don't think, well, wait, I'm not clean. It's his love that cleanses you. It's his love that makes you worthy. You and I are never worthy in ourselves. It's his holiness that makes us holy. It's his worthiness that makes us worthy. I want you to feel his hands coming and touching you on the head right now. Not physical, but you can feel it in your spirit. Don't worry if you can't feel it. Just believe it. The hands of the Christ are on your head right now. The spirit of the resurrected one pulsing into you right now. He is saying daughter. He is saying son. He is saying beloved. I receive you. I accept you. I release you. I forgive you, says Jesus, the one and only God. It is my right to forgive sins. And all your sins, though they are many, are forgiven in me by my blood, says Jesus. I am healing you now, says Jesus. 
I am healing your thyroid condition. I am healing your eye condition. I am reducing your high blood pressure and high tension. I am normalizing your erratic heart or that arrhythmia. I am shrinking and removing that tumor. I am strengthening your joints. I am healing you and delivering you from gout from rheumatoid arthritis. I'm delivering you from lupus. I am delivering you from asthma. I am delivering you from distress and depression and anxiety and insomnia and sleeplessness. I am delivering you out of the bondage to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to lewdness, to the confusion and the lie of the enemy. I am delivering you out of self-hatred and suicidal temptation. I am delivering you out of hopelessness, out of weariness, out of pointlessness. I am bringing my life and purity and power into you. Receive it. Receive it. Receive the refreshing and the renewal of faith. I'm lighting a fire in you, says the Lord, the fire of the Spirit. I'm giving you a hunger, a hunger for my word, a hunger for righteousness, a hunger to know the fullness of the Spirit. I am bringing healing to your relationship. I'm healing your marriage. I'm healing you from your broken marriage. I am healing your relationship with your children, with your parents, with your siblings. There are so many things that Jesus is speaking to so many people. Now hear this. Jesus has his hand on someone or ones out there who say, but I don't even really belong to you. And right now he is saying to you, you have always belonged to me. I bought and paid for you with my life. You are mine. Are you ready and willing to believe it and to receive me as your Lord and Savior? Now it's up to you, friend, if that's you. It's up to you to say to him, I give myself to you. But do it. Do it today. Give yourself to him and mean it. Don't hold anything back. You think, well, it's going to completely wreak havoc with my life. Yes, but your life is already havoc. Let the Lord of order bring order to the chaos of your life. Let him bring love into the darkness of your life. Let him bring truth into your confusion. Let him bring you into the body and all the life of the body into you. There's just a place of response. I want you to think again of Jesus standing behind you. I want you to think again of his hands, those pierced hands laying upon you, the heat of the Spirit flowing through them, the blood of the Christ flowing through them, the love of the Father flowing through them, the power of the Savior flowing through them into you. That you would know that you would know how much you are loved, that you would know the height and depth and the riches of God's glory prepared for you, that you would have a love for the Father and a love for the Savior and a love for the body and a love for the lost that flows into you now. Those hands on your head, those words in your ear. Now you put your hands on top of his. Just put your hand on top of your head. Put your hands on top of his. As you put your hands on top of your head, you say this with me. If you're willing to say it with all your heart, Lord Jesus, you are the Christ. Do in me 
Whatever you want to do. I don't want anything more than you. Your will be done in me, through me. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and use me each day in your holy will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Give praise to the Lord. Expect God to move in you in new ways, not just today, not just this week, but in all of your life. Expect him to move powerfully. Be ready to respond. You are called and commissioned. You are the body of Christ. Be that body and let the world see the Lord who loved them so much that he died for you and me and he fills us with everything we need to live out that witness in the world. Amen.